todo el mundo. Pero eso fue realmente... Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the documentary, The Ventures, Stars on Guitars. This is your destination for all things rock, where the interviewees include musicians, authors, historians, filmmakers, and more. And now, on to the show. My guest today is Gina Kayon, the founder of Little Miss Nasty, a heavy metal, hardcore, sexy dance troupe. She was raised in Hell, Michigan, and then headed for sunny LA, where she is currently based. She's going to talk about the inspiration behind the songs Little Miss Nasty dances to, as well as her own original compositions and being in an all-girl supergroup put together by a member of Guns N' Roses. Let's get Gina on the line now. Welcome to the show, Gina. I'm happy to have you on. Thank you for having me. It's so kind of you. Well, I understand that you went from hell to New York, to LA. Most people do that in reverse. <laughs> but uh, which which place was the worst? OMG. Well, they all are special in their own way. Don't get me wrong. Hell is a beautiful place, believe it or not. <laughs> and it does freeze over every single year. Frigid, fucking ice cold. Um, but there just wasn't really anything there for me besides the family life and the small town living. So perhaps that would be the worst one because I just wanted so much more. You know, I'm a I'm a city girl at heart. I'm a dream chaser. So I had to dip out. All right. Well, I'm glad you did. Yeah, same. <laughs> uh, have you always been a dancer or is that something that came to you as an adult? I have always been a dancer since I was a little girl. I started in ballet and tap, uh, I'd say around five years old. I don't even recall the exact age. And I was super interested in gymnastics. Anything that would challenge my body and give me something to work for, I was super into just athleticism mixed with art, mixed with music. It was flowing through me from the start. Well, who are some of your influences in dancing? Any favorite choreographers or dancers? Yes, actually, 
he goes by Brian Friedman. He's just an insane athlete and artist. He's choreographed for so many artists like Britney Spears, basically all of her top tours when she was popping off. At name a pop star, he's a uh, choreographed for them. But he's also an insane dancer. And what I love about him is he's so full out and precise and the way he can morph his body into these ticking motions right on insane musicality and the range of his movement is just so impressive and he's much older now but he still does the same stuff that he could do when he was 20 years old so I just love him and I really admire his work oh wow yeah that sounds a bit like uh, Bob Fosse who was still doing choreography and and dance into his advanced years as well Yes, just, you know, a knee replacement, and then you can keep going. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I'm curious about your former band, the Darling Stilettos. What is the story behind this? Okay, okay. So being in LA, I was living my life as a professional dancer. And you know, you meet all sorts of other dancers with similar interests and whatnot. And I was always sort of cast as this rock and roll chick, just based off of my aesthetic, you know, what kind of music I was into, my vibe in life. I always had this rock and roll blood. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of my co-dancers on a random job, her name was Ace Harper. And she kind of sought me out and she's like, Gina, you're cool as fuck. And she's like, do you want to join my group? And I'm like, okay, like, what's your group, you know? And she said, it's a rock and roll dance show. Um, We're going to perform up and down the Sunset Strip, this and that and the other. And I was like, sounds fun. I'm into this. You know, I'm always cast as the rock girl. This is my shit. Yeah. So she's like, come up to my house. Little did I know her house was actually her boyfriend's house at the time, Matt Sorum, who is the drummer for Guns N' Roses, uh, Velvet Revolver you know, Camp Freddy, all sorts of iconic bands. And uh, I was like, oh, shit, like, she's in the mix of this, like, whole rock and roll scene. And uh, so I thought it was so cool. I'm like, fuck, yeah, I'm down. Let's do this, girl. So we started performing. Matt was managing us at the time, and we were doing all sorts of shows, opening for Camp Freddy. Uh, Do you know the band Camp Freddy? No. So it's just a a mashup of iconic rock stars there'd be like Slash, Dave Navarro, Billy Morrison, Donovan Leach, like all these LA based rock stars would come together and perform in Juliette Lewis. I fucking love her. She would jump in once in a while and they just sang a whole bunch of covers, perform their faces off, our dance crew open. So immediately I felt like, oh, I'm so in on this rock world. I'm loving this. The sunset strip is life. And uh, so we cranked that out for a little bit and then the time came when Matt Sorum was like, ding, 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 let's make some money on this shit and create a girl group and record music and go for the gold. So that just sort of started happening. We incorporated songs into our dance show. We started hitting the recording studio. They had one at their house and we pushed so far that we had an offer from Universal and right when we were about to sign our record deal and go on tour with Lady Gaga as the opening artist, just shit crumbled. You know how that goes. A girl group is just <laughs> probably one of the hardest things to pull together and maintain. 
but it was a really great opportunity and it got my feet wet in the music industry and I'm so grateful for Ace and Matt. Yeah, no kidding. It sounds like a, a much edgier pussycat dolls kind of thing. Yes, it was it was edgy. It was fun. And we were badass. He had us training four times a week for hours a day, live singing on the mic, dancing. I mean, it was full on runaways camp with Matt Swarm. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you're still badass with uh, Little Miss Nasty, which I know you're the ring leader of. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what that is for those who have not yet seen your act, and they definitely should, um, and how did it start? Yeah, for sure. So Little Miss Nasty is a movement. It's a lifestyle. It's a brand. It's a performance art experience. Um, we're still trying to pinpoint exactly what it is. At this point, we're just saying Little Miss Nasty is Little Miss Nasty. You just have to see it and experience it to embody the feeling and know exactly what it is. It started as a rock and roll burlesque show. So here I am in the Darling Stilettos taking this venture. And as soon as that crumbles, I was like, hmm, let's start my own show because I love this. It's in my, you know, it's my life. So that's kind of how it started. Someone at the Viper Room on the Sunset Strip approached me and asked me to put together a show that would be a residency opening for national acts that came through on tour. And I was like, fuck yeah, I can do this. So I held an audition at the Viper Room, booked all the baddest chicks I found, put together a quick, sexy show. And by quick, I mean it was very short and just not a huge production. It was a pop-up. 15 minute act before the national acts, but immediately people were digging it. They're screaming their faces off. Little Miss Nessie had a buzz in LA and we started venturing out and expanding in a major way. We started a Vegas residency. We went on tour opening for big bands like In This Moment and Motionless and White we started doing our own national tours. We had an even bigger Vegas residency. We were doing festival dates and pride dates around the country. It just seemed to blow up before our eyes. I mean, obviously over a long period of time, but <laughs> uh -huh. we were and we weren't stopping. And then the momentum is still there. We're still on the come up, which is super exciting because there's so much we still want to do. But so we're here. And we have a kick-ass show. We have a kick-ass brand. We just finished a four-week national tour, which was mind-blowing. It was so exciting. And uh, now the big secret is here. We're releasing an album in January. So here we are following the Pussycat Doll trend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Loretto trend is just, you know, it's evolution. Here we go. Yeah, absolutely. You have so many different elements to your act and you have many extremely talented dancers. Um, who's in the troupe now? Do, does the personnel change? Um, how does that work? So whoever's unfamiliar, we're based in Los Angeles. This is our home city. We've been here for 10 years. We're also based in Las Vegas. That's our other home. Mm -hmm. And we're based in New York City. So these are our three residency cities. Um, and I have cast members in each location. So in total, I would say there's 15 
to 20 little miss nasties that exist at one time, maybe Uh less. I'm so picky girl. It's like, you know, I just don't hire any old Jane off the street. So it's like exclusive. And if you are selected to represent little miss nasty in this way, you should be really fucking proud because like I said, I'm so picky and it takes the certain vibe, the certain feeling from within them to really sell me on it so yeah Yeah, it shows um now how much prep and practice is involved because you have to work out with you know basically three different casts right yeah it's a lot I wish there was a lot more of me to go around (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know I'm hanging on by a thread bouncing around these cities just constantly it feels like I'm hardly ever home but you know, we do put in intense rehearsals right before the project. And since we are so spread out, there will be prep before we all get together for the main hit it, you know, lock this stuff in right before the big show or the big launch or the big tour. So good things like this Zoom, we can practice across the country together. We can share ideas. We can FaceTime and go over concepts and exchange choreography. And so the practice is spread out and it is over a period of time, but then we hit it super hard right before the main project launches. But yeah, everyone is consistently trained because they are all working professional dancers who dance for their living. So mm-hmm. everyone's constantly moving, shaking, grooving, working out, yoga, Pilates, sauna, body care, all of it. Well, what elements do you consider when choreographing a performance to make it both entertaining and provocative Ooh, well I love extreme musicality so for any musicians out there you'll understand and even an audience member or a music lover but the extreme of like something so gentle and soft and mystical and then boom into a hardcore breakdown where the drums are just taking over So imagine that something soft and mystical and then break down. So in my mind, I immediately imagine the soft sensuality of, uh, you know, feminine energy and maybe it's a, a gentle body roll or a slow reveal. And then as soon as the drums hit, she's getting electrocuted or that's what it looks like. And the strobes are going off on her and she's thrashing and, you know, like a beast coming out of a cage. And so the, just the, from the soft to the hard, the light to the dark, the sexy to the rough. I really like the dynamic journey of mashing up all these different vibes into one, because I feel like if a piece is too bland and one level the whole entire way, it just gets boring. And the audience is watching like, mm, you know, more like watching a movie and set or no movies are exciting. It's more like, watching a river flow instead of watching a fucking hurricane. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. I've seen it. Like, am I rambling? But so that's what I look for. I want to have that balance of the extreme and then the sensual and take them on a journey. That's exciting because I see it and I feel it and I want them to see and feel through our movement. In addition to the movements and the music, um, one thing that's really essential and um, pivotal to burlesque is the costuming. And you guys move around a lot. You do a lot of uh, 
aerial stuff and acrobatics and rolling on the floor. So, I mean, I imagine the costuming is also something that you take a great deal of um, consideration to. Um, I'm wondering if you have any favorite costumes or any that hold special significance for you. Well, favorite costumes. Yes, you do have a good point about being mindful of what we are wearing. And one of the tricks is I would love to go over the top in way more elaborate pieces and just more, more, more. But in the live show environment backstage, the quick change, sometimes you only have 20 seconds to get your next look on and get on stage before the lights hit one. And uh, so that, you know, it kind of does take my concepts down a notch because maybe you don't have time to add that elaborate choker and buckle it on or maybe you don't have time for a whole shoe change which I would just die to have a you know an amazing new look every single number that's over the top but we'll get there we'll get there I personally love wearing masks and I know that seems crazy because I am such an expressive performer and I use my face even behind the masks you might not know but I'm still performing behind the masks but I have this leather dog head, which I purchased on Etsy from this uh, artist in Germany. And I just love it. I call her Roxy and I wear it in a piece uh, called Closer. It starts out as the Nine Inch Nails version of Closer and then morphs into a cover of Closer by asking Alexandria. It's like a way more heavy, dark ending. And I just feel so alive when I put this dog head on. I don't know how to explain uh-huh. it. But I become this beast. And in fact, during this moment in time, I'm smashing a drum, which I've never been a drummer, but I can hit a one-two step. And since I've been doing this piece, I'm just, I feel so barbaric and beastly. I'm telling you, it's the best feeling ever. So Roxy, which is has a little tear going on in the back and I'm heartbroken because I haven't seen her for sale again yet, but she just overcomes me. And I feel like that's my special costume of the moment. Brilliant. Yes. Well, you mentioned nine inch nails and I do love the the heavy metal feel to your show. Um, how is the music chosen and which bands are the easiest or most fun to dance to? Well, I spend hours searching Spotify. I just let it take me on a journey. And you know how you'll come up with a tiny playlist. Say I put Closer by Nine Inch Nails, Mars Needs Women by Rob Zombie, and some crazy song by Otab. Or I have three little songs in there. It will list 10 more songs that you might like right beneath the little playlist. Mm -hmm. And you can keep refreshing that and it'll just dive deeper and deeper. And then you can add songs from the recommended into your playlist and just build, build, build. So I discover artists I've never heard in my life. I love European artists. I love Russian trap. I love fucking dark mountain shit, just like the weirdest stuff you could imagine. I will deep dive and find. So that's how I find the music. I will spend days and hours just vibing and storing songs, making playlists, revisiting them I'm sure Mark is so sick of me bumping the same songs over and over but I get into the zone where I need to feel it I need to see it until it's all in my brain ready to purge then my favorite groups like I said anything with dynamic sounds and 
a flow. So I could take a song and start with the breakdown because it's so sick. Put that first and then go into one of their slower verses and hit them with the chorus at the end. I sort of, you know, will rearrange the song into a new piece that's unpredictable from a listener's expected take on that song. So hmm. currently I love Pale Face. Yeah, I see. (laughs) They're an up and coming badass metal deathcore band from Switzerland. Their songs are just so good because you know the metal breakdown, you anticipate it so much. It's almost like an EDM drop at festivals where people are like waiting for it and then it finally hits. And so for me, metal breakdowns are everything like halftime. Oh my gosh, Hillface has the best. But their songs, I love because it goes breakdown to breakdown and they just explore all the different types of metal breakdowns and just have it continue. And so when you think it's done, it's a a new version of a metal breakdown and it's just wild. So I love that kind of stuff. We have that the chorus line kind of towards the end with the is Pantera song, right? Yes. Yeah, we do have a Pantera song. What is the name of that song? We do we do walk. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. It's really a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, so burlesque performances often involve a strong connection with the audience, which you mentioned earlier that you can get that that flow of energy between yourself and the audience. Um, can you share a memorable interaction with an audience that stood out for you? Oh, for sure. So normally off tour, our shows are very interactive. Our LA residency and our New York residency specifically, it's sometimes we'll show up behind an audience member, you know, grab them by the throat, (laughs) (laughs) our little head around, maybe I don't want to say lick their face because that feels disgusting, but sometimes I do in the moment, you know, I'm a shock rocker. I like to give the audience something to be shocked about. So you never know what's going to happen. I love interacting like this. However, on our last tour, it was a goal of ours to stage dive because, you know, we're punk rock badass bitches. We want to stage dive too. Like, who says we can't? Mm-hmm. And if you've seen our show, you know it's not technically burlesque. It's a high energy dance theatrical production with like a uh, rock and roll feel. So... We were in Wichita and the audience was super dense. They're going crazy. This was just a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, I look at my girl and she's like, do you think I can do it? And it was during a pale face song. There's like this big start of a breakdown where it's the perfect moment to just jump and pray and hope you don't die and they catch you and bring you back. So I was like, yeah, girl, do it tonight. Do it tonight. And we're out there just thrashing, thrashing. The moment comes. And I totally forgot she was going to do it and she did it and I was like so fucking proud mind you the audience is 80% women just screaming their face off catching her bringing her out bringing her back it was just iconic it was our first Little Miss Nasty stage dive and after that we continued to do it in all the cities that we could on tour because it's just such a thrill and it's so empowering you know to just get out there and fucking jump (laughs) Uh yeah well yeah you mentioned that the word burlesque it doesn't fully encompass what you do I guess it's the best kind of shorthand for it um 
Hustler said you're the best in burlesque, which is quite a great compliment. Um, for those who haven't seen your act yet, can you describe one of your sexiest numbers? Oh, let's think of the sexiest. Okay, so I love to do somewhat ceremonial pieces or goddess-like sensual numbers. It you know it counteracts that balance of us stage diving to curse us like deathcore. So there's this beautiful number and it starts out, you know, it's kind of blasphemous and erotic at the same time, but it's to number one crush by garbage. And she's an iconic nineties artist. And the, the lead girl is in this glorious witch, witchy gown and her little minions worship her throughout the number. And she's basically like standing on the cross. Cause it's like, I will die for you. I will die for you. I've been dying just to feel you by my side. So it's this whole erotic piece of these girls dying for this goddess. And eventually they strip her out of her gown. And then it kind of ends in this erotic lesbian pile up, which is just so beautiful because the music is very slow. Everything takes a full eight count. Every move is lengthened and elongated. The lights are sexy. It's skin on skin. And nothing, obviously, too raunchy, although we don't mind being raunchy in other numbers that call for it. This is just beautiful and elegant and so fucking sexy. So I feel like it's a standout number as far as being a sexy number. That was one of my favorites, too, actually. It reminded me a bit of a, a, a Jean Rolin movie who was a, a French director in the 70s who did uh, Living Dead Girl and Lips of Blood. So Anyone who enjoys sort of arcane horror like that and wonderful music and dancing, that is a terrific number. Um, I also really enjoyed your opening act, Suzy Rocket. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. so badass. It is not every day that you see a babe on stage with a guitar. How did oh, you find her? Oh, I know. And a one-woman show at that. It's like... It's basically perfect because we were planning our tour and normally on a Little Miss Nasty headlining tour, my band will be the opener because Mark is our manager. I'm in Little Miss Nasty. Mark and I are both in Gina and the Eastern Block, which is my band. And so it's like no more bodies on the tour bus. It's easy slip in. You know, we love playing too. It's just the perfect uh, opening act opportunity. So we're like, this time, let's give ourselves a break. You know, we don't need to do two shows a night. I'm breaking apart here. So we wanted an artist that had a small footprint, one to two people tops, maybe three if they're lucky. And one of our friends recommended Sizzy and they're like, you know, she's a kind of a pop singer, but her show is way more punk rock and she's just badass. And so she's like, yeah, it's just me and my manager. And we're like, all right, we had a meeting with her with them and they were super fucking cool they were down for it we did a little bit more research on her and then we just started <laughs> but it ended up being the perfect match and we adore her and every time she went out to perform before us we were so inspired just her voice her message her attitude just having all those balls to go out there and slay a one-woman show every night you know it's awesome yeah, she's very complimentary to Little Miss Nasty, but not 
the same type of performance. So it's a great springboard for for you guys. Yeah, it's so fun. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about Gina and the Eastern Block. I'm curious about your band as well. Yeah. So Gina and the Eastern Block blossomed around the same time as Little Miss Nasty. It was kind of me breaking free from another group where I had little control. I was just kind of one of the girls to writing my own songs, fronting my own band, exploring genres that I always wanted to explore. And uh, so yeah, so Mark and I just started fucking around one day and writing some songs. And he's like, let's make this a thing. And I was like, let's do it. So we released an album. We have been dropping singles for a really long time. One of our, actually two of our top songs ended up in the Little Miss Nasty show, which is funny. So it's kind of just like one big cross promo family at this point. But I don't know if you recall one of the songs where the girl has a 40 and she's like drinking her 40 and it's kind of like a girl on girl sort of country inspired, white trashy vibe, drunk song called Sippin' on a 40 went at the end with her 40s so that was our first song that we put into the show and I was kind of nervous and embarrassed to add it I'm like I don't know like it's my song I just feel weird about it but as soon as we put it in it was just a fan favorite and the whole piece is like the standout of our live show and all of our residencies and whatnot so on tour I sing it with her it's super fun and then another song which was actually my solo and my personal song it's called Pussy Gon' Eat You, and I start- uh-huh, I remember that one. Bite me, I'm feisty. 
deserve to excite me Feed me, I'm waiting Watch me salivating Fuck me like you hate me Dominate me Throw me down and bang me Have your way with me Give it to me, baby blessing myself with my candle and then I lick it and suck it and breathe it and fuck it like it you know it takes you to a naughty time and but I love this stuff because I'm like such a shock rock girl I just want people's jaws to be like did she really just do that you know (laughs) yeah um you have a cartoon and you mentioned the EP coming out can you give me a little more details on those two projects yeah for sure The cartoon, our episode one, has aired. It's streaming live on reverytv.com, which is a queer TV network. Um, They just represent all sorts of amazing artists and anything digital. So they picked up our episode one, which is awesome because we do have a hilarious character that comes into our episode called Gay God. (laughs) (laughs) And he's nude with a giant rainbow and flowing locks. And it's just a perfect little touch for our episode. But it's basically like Little Miss Nasty superhero. We save the situation. But at the end of each episode, we make it to the stage just in time. So whatever's going on, the chaos of the world, whatever we have to conquer, destroy, protect, we'll make it just to the stage and be like, <laughs> All right, let's do the best we've ever done it. So it's kind of like we're always on tour, but something happens and we have to become a superhero because we are. Honestly, we are. And then we end up on stage and we kill the fucking show. So stay tuned for more episodes of that. But if you want to go see what our first one is all about, uh, head to Reverie TV and you can watch it there. How about the EP that's coming out early next year? Yes. So our EP, it's cute because over the past two years, we've been dropping random singles, kind of like an experiment just for our fans. We're like, oh, I think this is so cute. You know, Little Miss Nasty dropping songs. And it is cute. And the songs are fun and they're fine. They're great. So then we took a whole year to record an EP album And it was sort of underground. Not not a lot of people knew we were doing this. And so this is actually like pretty fucking big news. And we haven't actually announced it on our social medias yet. We've like teased around it, but it's called Weapon of Choice. And we have 
six vocalists on it from the Little Miss Nasty family. And uh, it's just like super fucking cool. It's unpredictable. The songs and the genres that we're crossing, you just wouldn't expect. And uh, some of our songs are so powerful with a huge message that could leave people crying, screaming, rejoicing. So we're super proud to push our next single, which is called Buried in Sin. And it's just exciting overall. So all this is coming out early 2024. And we're already planning a new tour to back this. And we have some album release parties lined up. And there's just a lot going on in Little Miss Nasty world. So if you do want to stay connected, I highly suggest following our Instagram, signing up for our email list on our website, just wherever you can find us, follow us because we'll be dropping bombs left and right starting very soon. (laughs) Wow. Congratulations. That's fantastic. That's so fun. Yeah. What an accomplishment. Well, my last question is the question that I always ask because this is the rock and roll nightmares podcast. I have to ask, what is your own personal rock and roll nightmare? Oh my God, my rocking <laughs> nightmare, like something that's happened to me. Could be, or something that you've maybe actually dreamed about, or I know some singers have dreams where they get on stage and they can't sing, or oh. have you had any personal uh, things happen to you in the rock and roll world that you remember unfondly? I mean, all of those recurring dreams, I have the anxiety dreams left and right before any project, just showing up there's no wardrobe the intro starting nobody has makeup on I I don't know the song I don't know the dance like obviously those happen a lot but this one's kind of funny but this would be my nightmare (laughs) and as a woman okay men close your ears you might be grossed out but fuck that it's a new dawn it's a new day listen up boys imagine going out in little miss nasty rock and roll show tiny little panties pulled all the way up your butt cheeks out looking fly looking fly you go to do a big open split open leg or you bend over and your tampon string is hanging out oh no how mortifying <laughs> that would not be good no 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 not at all that's my nightmare so I'm always you know you you tuck you trim you do whatever you gotta do but for the ladies out there you know what I'm talking about and performers you still have to do the shows during the special time of the month, you still have to carry on in life. So always look out for it. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, Gina, and I wish you all the best of luck. And I hope to see little Miss Nasty back in Las Vegas very soon. Oh, you will. And we're relaunching at Area 15, which you have to attend. Oh, nice. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll be there and I'll bring friends. Yes, please. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I appreciate you. Thank you. This concludes another episode of the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Remember, there's a book series too. All the books are available in paperback, ebook, and audio via Amazon or the Rock and Roll Nightmares website. That's R-O-C-K-N-R-O-L-L-Nightmares.com. Our official theme song is 
He's Out for Blood by Fuzzbuster, founded by Lars Cabot. Thank you for listening. Where she's by.